Really good. Well, welcome to the meeting this morning. If you're here at 140 Clark Street or if you're joining us online, it's so good to have you connect with us. Either way, we're part of the church together. And uh, my name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. We've been going through the letter to the Ephesians when I've been preaching over the last few months, just Ephesians chapter one so far, just uh, going, taking it slowly, verse by verse, really looking at the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. If you missed any of those messages, you can catch up on our YouTube channel. Well, now we come to verse eight. And uh, so if you've got uh, a Bible, you might want to turn to the book of Ephesians. The words will also appear on the screen. Um, here or on the screen at home as well. Uh, Verse 8, Paul says this, With all wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All right, Paul certainly likes his long sentences, doesn't he? He doesn't just say, God loves you. Um, So I'm going to read that again, because it's one sentence. It says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All right, let's dig in and see what Paul is saying here in this sentence. We probably won't even cover everything in this sentence. First of all, we see that some of the blessings that we have in Christ are wisdom and understanding that we might know the mystery of his will, what he intends to do, what he's going to do, um, what he wants to do. We might have wisdom and understanding so that we might know that. Now, did you realize that God had blessed you with wisdom and understanding? You can say that because that's what Paul says here. Did you know that? That you are wise. You have understanding. Do you think you're wise? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus, then actually you might not feel wise. You might not feel that you've got a lot of understanding, but actually you do. Because if we're a believer, we've understood something of what God is about. We've understood something of what he's done through Christ. We've understood that we're, we're, without him, we're dead in our sins. Uh, we've understood that we need a savior. We've understood that Jesus Christ is that savior. We might have understood even more of that. We, hopefully, we'll understand a little more this morning. We might have understood that we're caught up into his plans and his purposes here on earth to bring about his kingdom, um, which, as we shall see, will result in all things coming back together as they should be. Many people in the world have not understood those things. They haven't had the wisdom and understanding to grasp some of those things. So be encouraged, if you're a believer in Christ, that you've got some of that. You've understood some of that. Wisdom is seeing through to the heart of something, beyond initial appearances, beyond what things might look like on first sight, to get to the truth, to really see beneath the surface and see, well, what is the truth here? Wisdom helps us uncover the truth. And we need the blessing of wisdom to discern what is going on in the world around us, don't we? Because we see so much that is confusing 
And we're told so much that is confusing. There's all sorts of things being said and done. This is the way we should live. This is the truth. This is what it's all about. And we're like, man, this just seems, I think everyone's confused. So many people are confused. Well, here in Christ, we have the wisdom and understanding to help us discern the truth. It's not surprising that there's so much confusion in the world because the Bible tells us that the world is dominated by the devil and he is known as the liar. He lied to Eve in the garden, didn't he? He said, oh, you can do whatever you want to do. You can eat the fruit of that tree, even though God's told you not to. There's not gonna be any consequences to it. The devil is a liar. He lied right at the start and he's been lying ever since. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And he's the ruler of this present age. So he's going to lie. So there's many, many lies being told by the enemy. And the devil will speak his lies through anyone he can. He'll speak through university professors. He'll speak through politicians. He'll speak through celebrities. He'll even speak through Christians. He spoke through Peter to Jesus, didn't he? When Jesus said, I have to go to the cross. And Peter said, no, 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 you don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to do that. And Jesus discerned that the enemy, the devil, was speaking through Peter at that point, and he said, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't opposed to, Jesus wasn't opposed to Peter. He loved Peter. He was one of his disciples. But the enemy was speaking lies through Peter at that particular point. The enemy can speak lies through many, many people. We need wisdom to know the truth in the world. We need wisdom to know how to live our daily lives. How do we know how to live our lives anymore when there's so much changing in the world all the time? Well, the Bible gives us that wisdom. Wisdom on how to manage relationships and live that out. Wisdom on marriage and parenting and work, every area of life the Bible has wisdom in. And, you know, the book of Proverbs, just full of wisdom, 31 chapters of wisdom for life. We, ha we don't have time to get into even some of that this morning, but why not read through the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters. You could read a chapter a day for a month and get wisdom for our life imparted to us from the Word of God. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is seeing the truth of a situation. Understanding is knowing what to do with that truth. Living our life in the light of it. And Paul goes on to say what God is doing <coughs> at the moment. What his will is, what his purpose is. He says he's bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He's bringing unity to all things as the times reach their fulfillment. In other words, as the world wraps up, as things come to an end, this present world wraps up. Lots of people have ideas about how they think the world is going to end. Have you heard people talk about that? People talking about how the world might end. Some people used to think the world, maybe some still do, used to think the world was going to end in a nuclear uh, war, a huge nuclear war where everything was going to get destroyed. Others think, well, maybe a meteor is going to come and destroy us. 
Some people think aliens are going to come and, and, and take over. Many think that we're going to destroy our own planet through abuse of the environment. And some religions will try and predict when it's going to happen. Some, like Jehovah's Witnesses, will try and predict the date that the world is going to end. But here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that history is moving towards its climax. But God's ultimate purpose and plan is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together on, in Christ. All creation has been affected by sin. Everywhere we look, we see things decaying and coming apart, destruction, uh, anger with, between different people with each other, division, disunity, discord, destruction. Paul says in Romans 8, the world is in bondage to decay. It's just decaying the whole time. We see it all around us. But the good news is that through Jesus' blood, it's all going to be reconciled to Christ. It's all going to come back together. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible speaks about it all the way through. Isaiah prophesies about it in Isaiah 65 and 17. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 19, 28. We don't even have time to look at all these uh, references this morning. But ultimately, we, we're going to see what it looks like, and we, we get a picture of it in Revelation chapter 7. And in Revelation chapter 7, John has a great vision of a multitude of people gathering and worshiping at the throne of God. And they're from every tribe and every nation and every people and every language. And they're coming together and they're glorifying God and they're praising his name. And, and Revelation goes on to say that there's going to be times when there's no more sin and there's no more suffering and there's no more pain and sorrow and death and mourning and weeping. All those things will be done away with. Everything we hate about this world, everything that causes pain in this world is going to be gone. And people who were divided will come together and will worship at the throne of God. That's what we've got to look forward to. And where does the church fit into all this? Well, the Bible goes on to tell us that all of this, this wisdom of God, these purposes of God are going to be displayed and proclaimed through the church. And, and goes on to say this is all for the church. It's for the church. Later on in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul, in Ephesians 3 verse 10, Paul tells us that God's intent is that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. How are people going to understand this wisdom? How are people going to get hold of the truth to know what reality is through the church, through us, through us displaying it, through us living it, through us proclaiming it? And in, verse, in chapter 1, later on in this chapter, he says in verse 22, God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's all for us. That's amazing to get hold of. It's all for us and for those who are going to come into his church. So in terms of the world, in terms of our eternal destiny, we know where it's going. 
We know what the future holds. We know that Christ has died to save us. We know that Jesus will one day return again, this time as judge. We know the time is short. And we know God has chosen the church to communicate this message of restoration through Christ. And we know that everything God is doing is for us, for the church. It's for the church. Let's just imagine that you had some money to invest. Maybe you'd, you've come into an inheritance and you think, okay, I'm going to decide to invest this money. I don't know where to put this money. I don't know whether to put it in the bank. I don't know whether to invest in gold. I don't know whether to invest in oil. I don't know whether to invest in lumber. You know, so you might make a decision, how am I going to, how am I going to invest this money? You might do some research on it. You might look some things up, see which way things are trending. But how about I made known to you, I'd got some inside information, and I was absolutely certain, and I made known to you that oil prices are going to fall, gold prices are going to fall, but lumber is going to go increase tenfold. We've already seen it happening recently. It's going to increase tenfold in the next year. What are you going to do with your money? What are you going to do with your investment? You're going to put it all in lumber. You're going to be all in in lumber, because that's the way things are heading. And God has revealed to us through his word the way things are going. He's given us the end point. He said he's going to show his wisdom to the world to advance his kingdom through the church. He's going to speak his truth to people through the church. He said the world and everything in it is going to be restored and be put back right and joined together for the church. So if that's the way things are headed, what should we be all in on? The church. The church. We want to have passages like Ephesians 1 motivate us and inspire us to see a church that is truly what God wants us to be, his bride. We want to focus on the things that God wants the church to be, not what tradition might dictate. We long for the church to be what it was in the early chapters of Acts. And, and so all this affects how we, how we are as a church. We don't want to see different churches for different groups because that doesn't make sense. Because in the future, all are going to be coming together. So we don't have adult church and kids church. We might have different gatherings for kids and for adults and for teens. That's, that's one thing. But we're one church together. We don't have separate churches. We don't have a church for those of us who are British and a church for Canadians and a church for those who are French and a church for Africans because all nations are going to be joined together. And so we want to see something of that here and now. We want to model that to the world. This is what eternity will be like. And you can see it here in the church where we have different nationalities all gathered together, all worshiping God. We don't have churches for, or life groups for rich people and churches for those who are poor. We don't even want to have churches for those who are vaccinated and those who are unvaccinated, which to be honest is why we've resisted the government's encouragement to go down that route because the church is for everyone together. And in our diversity, we want to be a church that loves one another. And that won't just mean relating to and caring for those who are like us. We won't just be spending time with those who are like us. That's what everyone else does in the world. 
The church is to display something different. The church is to display the manifold wisdom of God. It's to display where God is taking us. And it's glorious. But sometimes we can lose sight of the glorious church. Sometimes we can miss it. God wants us all to be like that. He wants us to understand who we are. He wants us to understand what he's caught, up, caught us up into. He wants us to be joined together and committed to each other, showing love to each other, sacrificially giving to each other. But sometimes we lose perspective and we can grow cool on what the church is about. So we might start thinking, oh, okay. You know, we, we, I, might, I might give some time to the church if there's nothing else going on in, at, at the moment. Or if there's no other things that clash or no other programs that are going on, maybe things our kids are doing. If we're not too tired, if we've not got another option. Actually, maybe I'll, I, might, I might get involved when, when this preacher's preaching or this worship leader's leading or if the church has a good program for the kids. I'm not saying that we individually will think that, but that's the mentality that we can get into because it becomes just like another program that we sign up for, like we sign up for a sports team or we sign up for a dance group or well, we'll sign up for a church and we'll sign up for this program. But that's not what the church is about. That's not who the church is. We don't want to slip into this kind of consumer thinking about the church. It's so far from what God has said we are. Jesus died for us. He died for us. He's bringing to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ for us. Listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about attendance at meetings or meetings for the sake of meetings. I'm, I'm talking about us being the people God called us to be. I'm not saying this because I work for the church. I'm not saying this because I, I want us as a church to look good or successful or to grow or because I want people to give more money or things like that. You know, the enemy will whisper lies like that. Oh, he's only saying that because of this. No, I'm wanting us to get hold of what God has for us. I'm wanting us to grasp who God has called us to be, who God has made us already. I want us to see a vision of a glorious church, the bride of Christ, God's chosen people who are called to bring his hope and life to a needy world. The church of God is so precious. The church of God is what he's chosen to bring the good news of the gospel into the world. So why would we want to be doing anything else. I'm not saying we don't do other things, but how can we put the church on a level with other activity? The church is so much more than meetings. That's why joining together and, and glorifying God this meeting is so much more than a, a worship experience. It's not about an experience as if it was some kind of entertainment to us. It's about us being God's people together, glorifying him. If we don't get it, if we don't understand it, if we don't see this wisdom, it will be too difficult. It will be too hard. It'll be too hard to work through relationship issues with people who are not like us. It will be too much effort when we're told that when we gather together to worship, we can't sing and we have to wear masks and we have to be distanced. We'll just think, oh, well, what's the point? We won't un if we don't understand who we are, we, we just won't bother. 
But if we see it, if we have a vision of God's glorious church revealed to us, then the church is worth sacrificing for. It's worth giving everything for. It's worth dying for. And parents, once we've seen it, we need to model it and show it to our kids as well. We don't want our kids to just think church is an activity option among many other activities that we could be doing on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning if our kids are kids club age. We're God's chosen people. We need God's wisdom and understanding to see what God's doing. And then we can give ourselves wholeheartedly to it because we're not condemned to share the folly of the world. There's spiritual darkness, spiritual blindness all around us, yet God has opened our eyes and shown us the truth. He's given us the wisdom to see it. He's given us the understanding to know how to apply it. And because we've seen that vision of God's glorious church, we have to make every effort to guard and protect relationships in the church. We have to guard our relationships. And the enemy would seek to divide us. The enemy would seek to bring division. God is bringing about unity. And we've got to model that in the church. The enemy, he's, he's going to want to divide. He's going to want to bring disunity. And he can do that in a number of ways. One way the enemy can use to bring disunity is through rumor and gossip. Rumors can easily spread about people in the church. Oh, did you hear this about this person? Did you know that? Maybe individuals in the church, maybe those in leadership, but people can start to believe them. And then it's very easy just to pass those things on. We've, got to, we've just got to be aware of the enemy's tactics. We've got to consider very carefully whether we believe what we hear about someone in the church. Even if it is, and even if it's true, we need to think about whether to share it and whether it's helpful. I got a Facebook message from someone this week uh, from the church in Sheffield that we used to be at. And he said, uh, this guy said, the latest rumor going around the church in Sheffield is Mark is no longer working at Christ Central Fredericton because the church there has run out of money. He said, that was the rumor that was going around. In I, I hope it was a rumor and not a prophecy. Um, <laughs> now, the, I'm like, what? That, the good thing is, this individual asked me directly. He said, is it true? I was able to say, no, it's not, it's not true at all. I said, actually, in terms of our finances, they're better than they've been at any point since I've been here. But no one else has asked me directly. I don't know how many people are spreading that rumor. Rumors can go around and spread. They've got no basis, in fact. You might hear all sorts of things. How do you know whether they're true or not? Are you certain? Because the devil wants to spread lies. The devil wants to bring disunity. We need wisdom to see through them. Not saying everything you're gonna hear is a lie, but it probably isn't gonna be worth you sharing it to bring disunity, if that's the motivation. Second way that the enemy can cause division in the church is through disagreement on different issues. So it might be through different political views. It might be through differences in how to do church, things in church life, such as baptism or gifts of the spirit. Or it might be over COVID-19. Paul describes these kind of things as disputable matters. He talks about it in Romans 14. And for the rest of this message, I'm just going to look at this passage in Romans 14. And I haven't got time to really give a lot of detail to it. But he talks about disputable matters. He knows if people are disputing things, it's going to bring disunity. 
And I want to look at this because I believe it's a key one for us in the current climate, especially in relationship to the COVID-19 situation and what's happening about that at the moment. So I want to tread carefully on this, but equally I want to try and bring some helpful input to it. Paul gives in Romans 14, and, and you might just want it in front of you. I haven't got time to read it all. We'll put up certain verses. Paul says in Romans 13, he gives a couple of examples of things which were disputable matters at the time. He says some Christians felt that they were able to eat any food they wanted. And others said, no, 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 we need to be subject to the Old Testament food laws. We need to be really careful what we eat because some things that God has declared unclean. Um, so some people were like, we can eat anything. Some actually went to the extreme of saying, we're just going to eat vegetables because we really don't want to be eating any meat in case it is unclean. The second disputable issue that he mentions is some Christians considered that the Sabbath was more sacred day or special than any other day and that there were special rules that they had to follow for that day. They also believed that about other festivals. But other Christians just said, look, every day is created by God. They're all alike. That's even still a bit of a live issue among some today. Those were the two issues he was dealing with. And Paul said, these issues could have potential for division among Christians because different groups can start judging each other. The groups who, think, who thought that you should eat everything could judge people who were like, why are you still following the Old Testament laws? The ones who are still following the Old Testament laws could judge these people and say, well, what do they even think? They do not care about God? Same with the days. Why are you not observing the Sabbath? And then others thinking, well, you know, why, why are they observing the Sabbath? Why are they still following these rules? Potential for division, potential for looking down on people and for judging. This is what Paul says. In verse 3, he says, both sides mustn't judge. The one who eats everything mustn't treat with contempt the one who doesn't. And the one who doesn't eat everything mustn't judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. God's accepted people with both opinions. On the issue with whether one day a week is special, Paul says in verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. They should be convinced about the way that they live in their own mind, and then they should live according to that in faith and in good conscience. They're to follow their own conscience on it. And, in, and then Paul says we shouldn't judge each other for the decisions that we make on those issues. Now, Paul does have an opinion himself. He actually says, you know, he believes he's come to a point of wisdom and understanding. He says, in faith, he believes you can eat anything. And he, in Galatians 4, says he doesn't think there are any special days any longer. So he has a view on it, but he acknowledges others aren't going to have the same view. He says in verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing's unclean in and of itself. But then he says, but if someone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So he's convinced it's not unclean, but he says, if this person thinks it is in faith and in God, for them it is. And so they, they shouldn't be eating it if they think it's unclean. More important than 
than agreeing on the is those issues, disputable issues, was unity in the church. More important that people were united, not judging each other, loving each other, rather than, come on, we've all got to agree on this. So he says, you should go and act lovingly towards each other with different views. So if Paul's around someone who doesn't think it's okay to eat meat, then he's not going to eat meat around them, he says, because it's going to cause them a problem. He says that. He wants to consider them and act in a loving way. So as we wrap up, let's, let's take our current situation with COVID-19, because that has got the potential to cause some division in the church. Praise God, in the grace of God, I've not picked up a lot of division in our church, but it's certainly there in others, other churches. There's lots of different aspects. I'm just going to give you one. We can apply it ourselves to others. Let's drill down on this one. <laughs> it's always difficult giving an example because if you give an example, then it sounds like, but here we go. What about the issue of whether we should be vaccinated or not? Let's see how these principles work. Firstly, we should seek godly wisdom and understanding on it. We're to seek godly wisdom and understanding. We're to take time, do some research, pray that we will discern truth from lies. We should get before God and we should seek it. Paul didn't just go, oh, I, don't, I don't care about food and idols. I, I'm not even thinking about it. He thought about it. So we should seek godly wisdom and understanding. But secondly, we should realize that others may come to a different understanding than you do in faith. And they're still believing God to work things out that way. So, so you might be thinking, this is what I believe. This is the right thing to do in God. And in faith, I'm going to work it out this way. And someone else may think, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to do something different. And I'm still working that out in faith. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we, we kind of want to know, does God agree with us? Does God agree with us as having the right way? Paul was convinced. He was fully persuaded, he said. But he was also aware that if someone else thought differently about food, it wasn't clean because they sincerely believe that in faith. So one person might be fully convinced in God that we should be vaccinated against COVID, and another might be fully convinced in God that we shouldn't. And Paul says God accepts both. God accepts both. I have spoken to different people in our church who have very strong opinions on this, completely different to each other. Both convinced in God that it's the right way, Sometimes both quote the same Bible verses to say, this is why I believe it. They're both convinced. God accepts everyone. Thirdly, we aren't to judge those who take a different view. God is the only one who judges. We all stand before him one day. And we're not tr to try and force someone to change their opinion on it. Verse 22 says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. I don't believe that means never talk about it. It can be helpful to have discussion. It can be helpful to have interaction with people. But I think what Paul is meaning is don't be forceful about it. Don't try and force someone to change their minds. We can try and bring some, you know, if there's 
some, some input and some helpful and even education on things, but Paul's saying don't be forceful about it. That has implications for how we have our conversations, especially on social media, because it's very easy to express strong opinions on social media, and we're not seeing how they're being received. So we, we, we don't know how to have that conversation so easily. Paul, Paul is strong on this. He says, if we persuade someone to do something that they still have doubts over, if we, if we really turn the screws on them and force them, then we are causing them to sin. We're causing them to sin. Verse 23, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Let's get hold of what Paul's saying here. If you're saying, yeah, let's take the food and idols. If someone says, it's fine, you should eat it. I really don't know. I don't know if it is fine. I feel, it's, I feel I'd be sinning against God. It's fine. Eat it. Paul's saying, if you've still got doubts and they eat, they're actually condemned because they're not in faith for it. They're not in faith for it. They're doing it because they're being forced to do it, maybe. They're feeling pressured to do it, but they're not in faith from it. And Paul says, anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Doesn't matter whether it's the right thing or not. If they're being coerced against their conscience, it's sin. Whatever we do, we should be convinced in God. We should be acting in faith. Our trust is in God. Our trust is in God. Our trust isn't in the vaccine or not having the vaccine or anything like that. Our trust is in God. For some, now this is the implication, this is, for some it will be a sin to be vaccinated if they're convinced in God that it's not right. If you're convinced in God that it's not right, it's a sin for them to be vaccinated if they're not fully persuaded. And vice versa. That's why it's important that no one should be forced to override their conscience on this. And to be honest, this is why I've got to be a little careful in what I say, but to be honest, increasingly, people are being forced to go against their conscience. It's no longer just that unvaccinated people can't go to a restaurant. Over the last two weeks, I've heard of two people in our church who've already lost their jobs two people who are in serious danger of losing their jobs over this issue. We should be concerned about this. And whatever our personal opinion on vaccination, we need to stand together with our brothers and sisters. We need to stand together with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have sincerely held positions on this. And life is difficult for them at the moment. We should be loving one another. It works both ways. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware, I'm gonna give a few examples and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not coming down on either side. I'm not even like Paul and saying, this is what I'm fully convinced in, personally, because I don't think that's the issue. What the issue is, is unity in the church. And we're going back to the big picture. Finally, instead of judging others who have a different opinion, we should try our best not to put a stumbling block in the way of people. We should make every effort to do with what leads to peace and mutual edification. So we should go out of our way to show love to each of us, even if they hold a different opinion to ourselves, especially maybe if they don't hold a different opinion. We should show love to each other. 
So if we don't like wearing masks, but we're around people who strongly feel we should wear masks to protect people, it's more loving to wear a mask to protect, prefer their needs. Paul says in Romans 15:7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. All right, I've covered lots there, but I'm, I'm just trying to give us a bit of a framework to help us to apply some of these passages in the situations that we're in. We need wisdom and we need understanding. We need God's help in this. These aren't easy things. These aren't easy things. And my prayer this morning is I've not, in giving examples, I don't want to create potential division, even in giving examples. Please hear me on that. My main concern is unity of the church because Paul is saying that church unity is the most important thing because that's what God's all about. His plan is to bring things to unity in heaven and on earth under Christ. And the church is to be involved in this and the church is to display it and the church is to proclaim it. So the church has to demonstrate it. We have to be those who are unified together. A disunited church is the most horrific thing that we can imagine if we're supposed to be displaying God's wisdom and understanding in the world. The church carries the light and hope and truth and wisdom of God into the darkness and hopelessness and deception and confusion of this world. We carry that hope. We have to see who we are. We have to see who God's called us to be and made us to be to have our eyes open to the blessings that we have received from him. And then he calls us to give our lives fully to this, to have such a high value on it, to make every effort to live our lives in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even where we disagree on disputable matters, even disputable matters that we may feel very strongly on, because there's a more important thing, and it's to show God's love to a needy world. All right, let's pray about this, shall we? Let's just stand together. And the worship team can come back up if they can lead us in another song in a moment. Father God, Lord God, I want to pray, first of all, that the focus of this morning will not be Mark said this about COVID. Mark said this about gossip. Mark said, but I, Lord, I pray that the focus of this morning, the takeaway will be a vision of a glorious church and an understanding of what it is that you are doing in the world, of who you have called us to be. Lift our eyes up to the glorious truth of who we are as your church. Lord, such a privilege it's such a privilege to be part of this, that you are displaying your wisdom to the world through us, that you are bringing all things to unity for us, that we are your bride. Oh God, give us that understanding and wisdom to know who we are, that we can live that out, Lord that we can live that out, that we can make decisions daily about our lives, about our marriages, about our friendships, about our work, about issues of, the, of life. We need wisdom, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit. Come and keep giving us that gifts of wisdom.
that we might live our lives glorifying you, that we might show something different to a world which is so fractured, so disunited. Lord God, we want to be one, one in you. Help us to be that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.